Well, I have some good news and bad news. <clears throat> the good news um, is that the uh, sermon outlines uh, that you got today are valid. Uh, the bad news is that they're valid for a later date. <laughs> As I looked at the task before us, it was quite apparent to me that the sermon outline as I had it um, is, is not yet on our doorstep. I mean, we are not yet ready for it. To worship God in a way that exalts His name according to His nature instead of our nature is something that we can't get to immediately. Yeah, we can't go to zero to 60 in two seconds here. It's going to take us some time to do that. Now, we are going to do it. But we've got to realize how exalted God is and worship him, worshiping Him according to His character and at His level takes a lot of time. So what we're going to do today is start. We're just going to begin. One of the things that I want to communicate to you in our sermon text for today, which is Psalm 99, the last verse, Psalm 99, 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for holy is the Lord our God. One of the things that I want to communicate to you is that we have a great deal of impediment, a great deal of hindrance for that task. Because of the nature of the American view of religion. You see, <clears throat> Americans spend a great deal of their time, and so their churches spend a great deal of their time, trying to make religion relevant. Now, that is not an outlandish thing to do. It's an understandable thing to do. It's a godly thing to do. If God wanted to remain so far above us that He was unfathomable, He never would have put skin on and come down and move into our neighborhood, so to speak. And so He sent Himself in Christ to come down to be just that, very relevant to our needs. However, here's something tricky. When you overemphasize relevance, when that is your point of concentration, you will get to the place where you are now making what once was holy profane. Now, by, by profane, I don't mean uh, cursing. I mean profanity in the denotative sense of that term, in that we use something very special in a very ordinary way. Think of the terms that people use for God in this society. So very seldom people talk about a holy God. More often, people talk about the man upstairs. That's profanity. He's not a man, and he's not upstairs. He's God in heaven. Very often, you hear the word, Jesus is my buddy. Well, Jesus is our friend in that He came down and died to pay for our sins when we could not pay for them ourselves. But our good buddy is stretching it a bit. So here's what we need to do. We need to make the switch from relevance to reverence. Because the end of relevance is profanity, but the end of reverence is worship. Now, how do we do that? Well, I love the story about Vince Lombardi, who went to a championship Green Bay team. And I don't know whether it was once or it was every season. I can't remember the story, but he, he went and he looked at these professional football players. They were already 
fantastic football players. And he held up a football and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. In other words, we're going to start with the fundamentals. We're going to start from the very basics. In Christ, you are already spiritual. But in order to worship God in a, in a manner that is suited to Him, we've got to start with the basics. And the basics of exalting the Lord is reverence. And the basics of reverence, listen to this, is respect. We've got to become people of respect. Let me tell you why I say that. Many of you know um, 1 John 4.20. It says this, If you can't love your brother who you have seen, how can you say you love God who you have not seen? Now let me parallel that with a spiritual principle that is just as true. If you can't respect the authorities that have been put into your life as people, how can you pretend that you reverence the Lord God who you have not seen? If you can't respect people who you have seen, how can you reverence God who you've not seen? And the answer is, we can't. The first stage of reverence is becoming a people of respect. Now let me go back even further. And I want to tell you, I want to warn you, I'm going to step on toes this morning. So you might as well just stick them out there, because here I come. It is very important for all of us, and I'm, and I'm saying this to me too, to go through the discipline that is required to raise children that are respectful. It is very important to do the little things that are necessary that you may not think are important right now, but unless they become respectful when they're young, they won't be reverent when they're old. Unless they learn to respect pe people when they're young, they won't learn to respect God when they're old. It's very important. Let me give you just a few practical beginnings here. I do not think it's a good idea for children to call adults by their first name. I think that's a dumb idea. Now, I know it's a well-meaning idea, and I know adults make it tough for you, for your kids. Oh, call me Bob. I'm just, I'm just Bob. Just call me Bob. Let me tell you what that does to a kid. It says to a kid, we're all on the same level here. But the fact is, we're not all on the same level. Ecclesiastes 5, 2 says, the universe is leveled. It starts out with this understanding. God's in heaven, you're on earth. See that? There's a level there, isn't there? You read out the scriptures... And you'll start, thought, you'll start seeing principalities and rulers and powers. And there's different levels of being. And so there's different levels of respect, and there should be. I don't want your eight-year-old kid calling me Joel. Not because I need the respect, but because he needs the respect. She needs the respect. That will position them later on to understand there's something to come up to. It is, a, it, is a, it is a good thing for your kids to respect Sunday school teachers. You understand they're in a consecrated position of God. That's a ministry. They are, they are people of God. And, and 
they're, they're not just in there to relieve you a little bit so that you can go worship. These are ministers. Your kids need to call them Mr. and Mrs. and bring them gifts every once in a while of honor and, and respect. And they need to see you doing that. When's the last time you thanked a Sunday school teacher? Thank you. I respect what you're doing. You mean so much to me. You see, that should transfer over into the school system also. Your kids need to respect their teachers. When's the last time you said, I know it doesn't seem right, but you're, that's your teacher and you respect that teacher. You respect that teacher. You respect that principal. That is very, very important. Let me tell you why again. Because if we learn at, at that age how to be the judge, you know, I hear people say, well, when they earn it, I'll respect them. Do you think they ever earn it? No, they don't. You know why? Because we just made a little judge and we've just made a little rebellious person. Because here's what happens. They say, <clears throat> they do something I don't want. Or I see I can, I can get something for myself. And therefore, I'm not going to give the respect and the submission that's due to them because I can't get as much for myself. So every time, that kid will disrespect that teacher. And if a kid disrespects the teacher, what do you th think they're going to do when Jesus Christ comes into their lives? They're not going to respect Him anymore. You remember Matthew chapter 21? How it says that, that a landholder rented out his land and then he sent his servants to collect. And those people began to slay the servants one by one. And finally the landholder said this, I'll send my son. Certainly they won't harm my son. What did they do? They slayed the son. Why? Because they had been systematically trained to rebel against authority. And Jesus asked this question at the end of that parable. What do you think that landowner is going to do to them? And the answer is, they're going to be destroyed. When we teach our kids to respect authority, we position our kids for heaven. When we let our kids disrespect authority, we predispose them toward hell, toward damnation. It's true, because that is a learned appetite. Respect is a learned appetite. Let me tell you something even more important. Mom, Dad, you should never stand for disrespect in your household. This is not a matter of you being sensitive to your kids. You always be sensitive to your kids, hopefully. It's not a matter of you being cruel. You're cruel if you don't demand respect. You know why? Because you weren't put there to be their friend. Oh, I just want to be their friend. No, you be the mom. You be the dad. You were put there because God wanted an authority figure in that household. Let me ask you this question. Why do you think in the Ten Commandments, it spends the first four commandments telling people you need to revere God? And then the fifth commandment is this, honor thy father and thy mother. You think those are disconnected? They're not disconnected at all. Because as you honor your father and your mother, you will revere God. That's how that works. And so you need to remain strong. I know some of you single parents, listen, you're my heroes. I tell you that often. And you are. You'll always be my heroes. And you say, well, you don't know how tough it is. Yeah, I do. My mom was a single parent. She weighed 90 pounds soaking wet. And there was never a moment in that household where anybody doubted who was boss. 
I mean, I came real close to meeting my maker several times. <laughs> my mother would not stand for disrespect. Why? Because God had put her in charge of that household. That is so important. And I know when you're raising kids, it is a continual battle of the wills. Do you think my house was any different? My house wasn't any different. I raised, we raised four, I mean, sorry, three. My wife, my wife raised four boys. <laughs> we, we raised three strong, strong, willed boys. And I'm telling you, there was continual challenge to our authority. And we came to a place, literally, I'm not proud of this. I'm just saying this, this happened. One with each boy. We would not allow them to disrespect. By the way, I especially never allowed them to disrespect their mother. That, is the, that was a cardinal sin in our household. You never disrespect your mother. Why? Because husbands, it is your responsibility to honor your wife and to lay your life down for her. That is your charge in Scripture. So they never disrespect their mom. But there came a time in each one of those boys' life, and I, this is a little hunter dirty laundry here, but I want to be honest with you, where the pitch reached such a level that I said, okay, you think you can disrespect you come on. You see if you can complete that task. In other words, I literally faced them physically and said, if you're going to go ahead with your disrespect, you and I are going to fight. Now, why would I do something that abhorrent? By the way, fortunately for me, <laughs> I had built enough respect up to that time that they declined my offer. But why would I do that? I did it because I was willing to undergo physical pain for spiritual good. You remember Jesus, what he said. Look, if your right eye offends you, cast it out. Better your right eye than your whole body be cast into hell. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Better your right hand than your whole body be cast into hell. I wasn't going to raise disrespectful young men because I was afraid of them going to hell. I really was. Now, we've got three wonderful young men who will literally change the world for Christ each in their own way. But I'm telling you, it wasn't easy. It was successful. You stick to demanding respect. Not only that, but you yourselves need to be re become respectful people of the authorities that are put amongst you. That is, by the way, by far the most effective form of teaching. We ourselves need to quit trying to correct everybody and quit trying to tear everybody down who is an authority figure. It's no secret that you will not find a perfect authority figure other than God. Of course you can always find faults. And this, well, I'll, I'll respect them when they earn my respect business, fails on two counts. First of all, you can always find a fault, and, and therefore they, you never, you'll never let them earn your respect. But the second thing is this. There are bad consequences for that. There are, just, there are normal consequences when you don't respect the authorities of your life, whether you want to admit it or not. I heard a, I heard a story, uh, a true story. 
read it in the in the Arizona Republican uh, Republic. It's a it's a newspaper. Terry Mickle is a teacher at a university there, and uh, he was late for class. And he was speeding, got pulled over by a policeman, and uh, the policeman walks up to the window and says, uh, <clears throat> "You really were speeding," and the, and he just says, "I know, I know." He said, "I." I've had a horrible day. I'm late for class. I'm just, everything's going awful. Well, for some reason, that, that policeman just had in his heart a certain amount of compassion that day, and he looked at him. He said, well, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to give you a warning. But look, I want you to slow down and drive safe. Well, Terry Mickle looked up at him and said, safely. <laughs> policeman said, What? He said, that's drive safely. You said, slow down and drive safe. It's slow down and drive safely. <laughs> Policeman said, well, thank you. And wrote him a $72 speeding ticket. <laughs> Sometimes it's better to respect than to correct. You understand what I'm saying here? Sometimes it's better to respect. Even when you could correct, it's better just to respect. Life is easier that way. You don't have to fix the whole universe. I, I, when I, when Becky and I were in California, uh, we called home from the, from the Los Angeles airport and uh, Joel uh, had been driving, the, our 16 year old been driving the Jeep with my permission. And uh, um, it was wet and rainy and, and he got on the phone and he said, Dad, I, I feel so terrible about this. He said, I just, I spun out, I spun the Jeep out. He said, I wasn't going fast. I was just turning the corner, hit a slick spot, spun the Jeep out. Um, and all of us are okay. I said, are you okay? Oh, everybody's okay. And, uh, and didn't hit anything except the curb. And, uh, and I said, well, well, you know, is the car, what's, what's the car like? He said, well, it, it wobbles a little. <laughs> I said, well, Joel, don't worry about this. These things happen. It's part of growing up. You can help me pay for it. Um, <laughs> anything I can do to help him deal with guilt, that's what I want to do. So got home and, and, you know, decided since it was, uh, you know, decided to take it to a Jeep place. And so I got 100 yards down this road. And I want to tell you, I thought I was going to have to have surgery to reattach my internal organs. <laughs> Wobbled a little. I mean, I was going down a road. Like you know, I mean, the car was all over the road. Turned in, said... Well, you know, I, and you, tr you always try to downplay it to the mechanics. Well, my, my son just put a little dent in the thing. And said, Maybe a wobbling. I said it to him, wobbling a little. <laughs> I don't know why you think you're going to get, your, you know, a better bill or something. So, so gave me a call, $1,480 for the wobble. Now, my first reaction is, who are you trying to pull a wool over? Ah, you know, this guy's trying to, he's out to, and, but I said to myself, wait a minute, this guy's a mechanic. This, that's what he, he's got the expertise. I need to respect him. And I, so I just, I said, well, okay, <laughs> fix the car. You know, I'm thinking, the car's not even worth $1,480. But I, I'm going to, I'm nursing this thing for a couple more years. Oh, fix the car. So, so he, you know, he felt bad too. So he fixed it and. And I, and I go in to pay for it, and the cashier's sitting there, and she, she kind of, you know, she looks up at me, and she says, you got AARP? <laughs> now, for the younger members of our congregation, who wouldn't have a clue as to what that is, 
That's a discount they give to the American Association of Retired Persons. <laughs> I said, I said, well, no, I don't. And she said, uh, I said, some days I feel like I ought to have. And she goes, well, you're going to feel like you ought to have it after you get done paying this bill, honey. <laughs> I said, I know. So anyhow, paid the bill, you know, put it on, you know, I'll pay this thing, you know, and go out. And because I had, I think, been so respectful, they had detailed my car. Now, detail means you wash it, you wax it, you, you wipe all the dust off the inside. I mean, that car looked like a $1,500 car. I was, I'm driving that car. I go, yeah, man, got a shiny Jeep, man, driving it around. I was, I want to tell you that just because I, I had respected them, I treated them with respect, they treated me with respect, the money didn't matter. There was a whole new attitude. You see, there was a victory that went along with the respect. Same thing, went and did my, we went and did our taxes this week. Oh, man, I feel like a little kid in a principal's office when I go in my day. I don't know anything about it. I go, I don't know anything about it. Here, just take all my money. I don't want to go to jail. That's a, I, I'm so paranoid. I am so paranoid. Pay them lots. Keep them away from me, you know? But, you know, the first, the first thing he says, oh, you're gonna, you know, and you think, hey, wait a minute, they're trying to, you know, but then I think, where would I be without this guy? I'd be in jail. I couldn't fill out one of those things. So there's a respect of people that are in your life. Do you live life with respect of those people who have authority in your life? You know, if you do, life is a lot simpler, a lot easier, a lot more celebrative, a lot more victorious. And let me tell you one more thing. It's not just exalting God, preparing our lives to live reverently by starting out respecting those that God has put in our lives. It's also, it says, and worship at His holy hill. That's biblical language for you need to go to God. You need to go to God. You know, a lot of us get real lazy in our relationship with God. And we say stuff like, well, God's everywhere. So wherever I am and however I feel like praying, I'm just going to throw up a prayer and Say, catch it, God. Some of us, you know, when we started this, we got, well, you're down on our knees at the altar, and we're, we're you know, some of us are, uh, have their hands up and so on and so forth, but as we go along, we just kind of, well, maybe I can pray from bed tonight. Maybe I can just, maybe I can just throw one up, and he can, he can come along and get it. You know, that's my buddy Jesus. Come along and get it. Take it to the man upstairs. <laughs> oh, man. In Scripture... There was usually a designated area because God wanted to make sure that we had in our mind a travel or, a, or an effort connected with going to God, that we were making an effort going to God. That was very important. You know, in Exodus 3, when Moses makes the trip up the mountain to, to stand before the burning bush, God says, Moses, take your sandals off because you're what? You're standing on holy ground. That's right. Because you made a trip up here, this is a very special consecrated area. In Exodus 33, it says that Moses built the tabernacle a long way from the camp. The first time I ever read that, some 
20, 30 years ago, I said, I wonder why he did that. Why didn't he build it right next to the camp? Because God wanted people to learn to make a journey to him. That was a part of the discipline of holiness. And part of making that effort of going clear to God made sure that we were on his territory now. We were worshiping according to his nature. We were putting ourselves toward his change. And so therefore, as you pray, doing something to go to God is very important. Now the holy hill, all of us know, is Calvary. All of us have access to God through that holy hill. But the effort is still a necessary ingredient because there is a common misperception in people's lives that my spiritual life can reach a certain level and then I can coast. Then I can let it rest. I want to tell you, along with C.S. Lewis, there's no such thing in this world as staying the same. Christianity is like an egg. It either hatches or it goes bad. And so it is with our spiritual lives. We're either intentionally making the climb upward or we are unintentionally declining downward. I had a, I heard a story, read a story about this little girl who had, uh, um, <laughs> I love this story. Uh, this little girl had been listening to Chuck Swindoll on the radio, a little eight-year-old girl. I think her name was Diane or something. And, and, uh, and so you know how kids are when they listen to a sermon. They kind of want to, you know, like, like when kids watch a football game, they want to go out and play f- football. When some kids listen to a sermon, they want to preach. And so, so she got all inspired with this sermon, and she turned to her little brother, Donald, five years old. She said, <laughs> she said, Donald, do you know all about Jesus? And, you know, Donald's in there. No. She said, well, I'll tell you. And so she's, boy, she's fired up. She's probably wired to be a prophet. She said, Donald, after you die, do you want to go to heaven and live with God and Jesus and the angels and grandma and grandpa? Or do you want to go to the lake of fire and live with the devil and bank robbers? And Donald looked up and said, well, I just want to stay here. That's how most of us feel. I just want to stay here. You know, can I just do things like I've been doing them? The answer is no. There is an effort. There is an effort. That's why we arrange these worship services differently than you're used to. It's an effort. And that effort, that stretching is symbolic of our coming to God. You see, God descended so that we could ascend. God came down not just to stay with us, but so that he he could bring us back to be where he is and like he is. Pray with me. God, as we make this effort to make our prayer lives, our worship lives different, as we realize that there is something special about coming to this place, it's holy ground. Uh, It is the tabernacle. It is your sanctuary. As we realize that, as we realize there's a, there's a value in different positions of prayer, down on our knees or with our hands raised or even down on the, on, with our face to the floor so that we can pray to you according to, to some way that honors you instead of is convenient for us. God, teach us how good it is not to be satisfied with who we are, not to be satisfied until we 
through the nature of Jesus Christ are who you want us to be. We pray this in his name. Amen. Would the communion service please come forward at this time? As they're coming forward, let me explain to all of you again that those of you who are following Jesus Christ, who have made him your Lord and Savior, are not only welcome but urged to partake of these, his sacrament. They don't belong to any church. They belong to his church. If you have not yet made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, please don't be ashamed to let these elements pass you by. That's between you and God. That's according to his timing. Uh, and please spend that time just with your understanding of him. Also, there are some of you who are believers who for some reason partaking of the sacrament this morning for you would be partaking in an unworthy manner. You've got some business to do before you partake of that sacrament again. Um, it's not sins to be forgiven because your sins are forgiven. It's just something else. Please, again, don't be ashamed to let these elements pass you by and spend that time with the Lord. Now, on behalf of us all, I would like to pray this prayer of humble access that is hundreds of years old and still very personally new to all of us. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous unto us. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please thee in newness of life to the honor and glory of thy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The elements this morning, according to Habakkuk 2.20, will be distributed in silence. Habakkuk 2.20 says, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. So during these, the distribution of these elements, if you would uh, just take time and, and confess your personal sins to God, knowing that the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us up from all unrighteousness. Take this time for personal confession um, and hold the elements so that we can all take them together as a family. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for thee, preserve thy soul and body unto everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for thee and feed on him in thy heart by faith with thanksgiving. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for thee, preserve thy soul and body unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for thee, and be thankful. Lord, we thank you for erasing with your sacrifice the consequences of our base nature and for giving us your nature inside of us. We thank you also for what you're going to make of that nature in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.